All right. Well, Sam, I appreciate you coming on this podcast because I tried to get you on for the since I started. This is two years in the making. Really? Yeah. I know that you've messaged me a lot. I just like when I'm working on things, I go dark. Understood. I just don't. I, I say no to everything. I don't reply to anything. So hopefully you didn't take it personally. Sorry. I definitely did not. And I felt better about it when Hassan Minaj also told told the podcast that you left him on red in the DMs as well. And I was like, oh, if Hassan is <laughs> is not not getting a response from Sam. I, I, I don't know even know if I saw that. But did you hear the story about what happened to me and him the other day? I did. But why don't you so, retell it? It's an epic story. Uh, Hassan, he's this like famous comedian. Um, and he came on our pod. I, I couldn't make it for some reason. And so it was just him and Sean. And so him and I maybe exchanged one or two messages before. It's on, I, I don't know. Did he, I guess he DM'd me and I didn't see it. And I saw him walking down the street like two weeks ago when I was out to dinner. And I ran out of the restaurant and chased him down. And I go, Hassan, what's up, man? And I grab his shoulder and he turns around and he goes, I go, what's up, dude? And he goes, you bet I'm, uh, you know, I'm Sam. We never met. You were on the pod, but I wasn't there, whatever. What's going on? And he goes, I've never been on a pod in my life. And I was like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? It's called my first meal. You never, you like, you're friends with Sean. What do you mean? And he goes, who do you think I am? And I was like, you're not Hassan, the comedian? He goes, no, no, man. And I was like, I am so sorry. And I start, it was like when you tell a woman like, oh, when's your baby due? And she's not pregnant. You know, I was like freaking out. And I start walking away. I was like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry. This guy thinks that like, I think all Indian guys look alike. And he like goes, wait, are you Sam from My First Million? I go, yeah. And he like shows me his phone. He's like, yeah, look, I listened to you. I was just about to listen. And I was like, thank God. So I kind of got out of that one, but it was pretty funny. And then he messaged me, he DM'd me, Hassan, or he texted me and he goes, sorry about my doppelganger, you know, like, uh, let's get, let's get together. And so we went and hung out and turned out, it turned out all right. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because here you are rubbing shoulders with Hassan Minaj, but there's a part of your story that's like just a bootstrap kid, just trying to build. And how much of that do you feel still in you of like, I'm just a kid from Missouri and now I'm now I'm rubbing shoulders with one of the biggest comedians in the world. Do you still feel that? Yeah. I mean, I still feel like a redneck. I still feel I'm from Missouri. I feel I still feel out of place. But I also in a in a weird way feel comfortable with it because I've been working hard for a while and I've been doing stuff. And I think like when I was, I used to run these events called HustleCon and we would get like the founders of WeWork and Casper and Away Travel and all these like really big brands. And I got to know some of these people backstage. I get to hang out with them or like Casey Neistat. And I would just be a fly. I would just listen. It was a green room just like this. And they'd be sitting around like sharing stories about how they're like nervous about firing someone because they don't like confrontation or how they're like uncomfortable and they don't think that their thing's going to work. Like they would like say these things in front of me and or how they're hiring people older than them and it makes them uncomfortable even though this person has like a thousand employees like there's just these like normal insecurities that we have and then i realized like okay cool like it demystified success and i realized that like all right the people i look up to are more normal than i think and so i've been lucky enough to meet some of my heroes i i got to meet and become friends with lance armstrong and he was like my ultimate like hero athlete mm. and like i would hear him talk and i'm like oh my gosh like you're you're definitely special but you're not like uh, like you're pretty, you know, you have the same, you're just a human and you have insecurities and you have issues and we all go through the same type of shit. And so mm -hmm. that kind of made things a little bit easier to when things kind of started working a little bit in my career. Mm. Speaking of meeting your heroes, I know Ted Turner is one of them. Yeah. What would you ask Ted Turner if he was in front of you right now? Um, if we were in private, I would ask him about his family life. So he was like a spectacular businessman. 
Hmm. He cheated on a lot of his wives and he wasn't always present, I think, in his kids' lives. And I would ask him if he thought that it was worth it. Hmm. I don't think people talk about that too much. I don't have a family yet, but I'm, I'm married and we're gonna have kids soon. And I'm curious, like, is the sacrifice worth it? Hmm. So I would be curious about that uh, big time. He's also a Southern guy. He was raised in Georgia. And now, you know, Time Warner Center, that kind of like was his office. So he kind of went from like the South Midwest to Manhattan. And I'm, I would be like, I would ask him if he always like felt out of place or, you know, like how he dealt with that. But I would ask him about his family. Yeah. Well, for you, for everything you've accomplished and we'll get into all of it. Do you think the sacrifices you've made in your life have been worth it? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. It's yeah. not even a question. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't make that many sacrifices. Like I came from... My parents were I, a mom and dad. They were both emotionally supportive. Mm-hmm. They encouraged me to like leave school and go to San Francisco and start businesses. I didn't have kids. I didn't really have debt. Uh, my opinion is when you're in your early 20s, when you're starting stuff, like people like are afraid to do it. But I'm like, man, there's really not anything to lose. So did I did, did I make sacrifices? Yes, but it didn't feel that hard. I mean, what do you like? You just work really hard for what, between the ages of 20 and 30. Like that's yeah. just not that hard to yeah. do. No, that makes sense. And so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about any one of these four. We got four that you can talk about, kind of my first million style. You got Southern Sam's hot dog stand. Yeah. You got bunk slash roommates, the anti-MBA book club, or itch juice. Itch juice. Oh my God. Uh, uh, those are all crazy and mostly stupid. Uh, I don't know. What was the second one? Second one was bunk slash room. Oh, let's do anti-MBA. That was my first blog. So yes. like the company I most recently sold, it was like a, a big content thing called The Hustle. And we were read by like two and a half, or we are read by like two and a half million people a day. So that's like, you know, 60 million people a month or 60 million times it's read. Um, but it all started with the anti-MBA. That was a blog that I had. And that's how I met everyone. So I moved to San Francisco. I had moved from Tennessee. I had never been west of the... Uh, really never been west of Mississippi. Like I didn't know anything. Like when I got to San Francisco, I like thought it was LA. Like I didn't know, I didn't entirely know the difference between the two cities. You know what I mean? Which is pretty normal. And when you're from the Midwest on vacation, you go to Florida, you know, you don't ever go to like uh, California or that part of the country. And I got out there and I started this book club Mm -hmm. and I would basically invite, I posted an ad on Craigslist and on meetup.com. And I think that's it. And I just said, I'm hosting a book club. This month we're reading Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power. We're gonna meet once a month. I'm gonna get an expert to come on. We're gonna read one book a month and we're gonna meet weekly and the book will be divided up into 20, uh, you know, 25% each week. Mm. And I'll bring an expert on that book's topic to come and talk. And like 20 people showed up and I had a speaker come and that's how I, and I did that every day or every week for like a year plus. And eventually got a small, following but like a lot of my best friends came from it and that's why I met like all these amazing people and it turned out really cool. I love how you mentioned that the reason for you starting that was because you were insecure about the fancy graduates of Harvard. Yeah, like I, when, I moved to San, when I moved to San Francisco, I remember going to Berkeley and I remember going to Stanford and walking around the campuses and I like would take pictures and like mm. send to my mom. I'm like, check this out. I'm on like, like, like going to Stanford was like a thing that you do in movies. It wasn't like a real thing. And I was very envious of those people. And so I was like, and I remember meeting some people from like Dartmouth and Harvard and all these like things, like things that I'd, I'd like, they might as well be Hogwarts to me. Like they were like, so like, out, like, you know, crazy. And I was like, I'm going to host this thing. So, uh, I can like have a crew just like these guys do. Wow. You know what I mean? So that was called the anti MBA. It was like the free MBA, but w- where are you from? I'm from New York. 
Long oh, Island. you're from here. Yeah, what, what part of Long Island? Port Washington. My wife's from Dix Hills. Yes, great area. Huntington Beach. Is that what a lot of friends from there? Yeah. Yeah. So I know a bunch of Long Island people, but like you got you kind of you didn't grow up in the city, but you kind of grew up in, like in the like. I just don't think I think you take for granted like how worldly and cult like it. So it was it was like I I didn't come to New York till I was 26 years old for the first time, and it was like. Uh, like I went to Times Square and like took pictures with Elmo. Like I was like, I was like, I can't believe this. Where's the underwear cowboy? Like, you know what I mean? What do you learn about yourself from exploring big cities? Uh, I think I can keep up with the best. Mm. I remember like being really insecure for a long time. And then like in the last two years, I'm like, I have what it takes. Mm. I, I, in the last two years? Yeah. It took uh, the last two years. I was like, I think I have what it takes to keep up with anyone. Mm. Now the question is, do I want to? Mm. Like, I don't, I don't really want to like, uh, maybe I don't want to like raise lots of money or like, you know, like have 10,000 employees. But I, I remember like being around people and it was the same thing of like, if you, when you're in proximity to interesting people, oftentimes it for sure demystifies it. And you're like, that's not that special. You know, it's kind of like, I'm a track and field fan. And in Jamaica, they have so like, so many people that do awesome in the hundred meter dash. And there's definitely maybe like some like genetic thing, but there's definitely a cultural thing, you know, just like we have the NBA here or like if you grow up with like a bunch of chess players, you're just like around that. You're like, well, it's just normal that I practice and I get good at it. And that's kind of how it's felt a little bit uh, with like business and being around people here. Mm. You mentioned track and field and I can't help but mention the Vanderbilt black and gold 400 meter where you took first place. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, good research. Yeah, I was a division one uh, 200 meter, 400 meter dash uh, runner. What did that teach you about entrepreneurship? Is it connected at all? A little bit. You know, I love the individual sports, boxing, wrestling, swimming, cycling. I love those because you're on your own and uh, it there's no politics. The, mm. the clock doesn't lie. You know, it is what it is. And so that it was always really fun to um, start like somewhat out of shape or like not in the best shape. And then you see progression if you do the reps and you have to rely only on yourself and like the results are the results. There's mm -hmm. no like padding. And so I always feel like whenever we talk about business on our podcast, people are like, you make it sound so easy, like this business. And I'm like, no, it's not easy, but it's simple, just like running fast or just like benching 300 pounds. Like it'll take you three years or five years of practicing every day. But if you lift this much weight this week, a little bit more next week, and you keep doing it for years and you keep eating a lot, like you'll, you'll probably get close to it. You may not always hit your target, but like you're going to get, you're going to make progress. And so business and like quote success, whatever we want to call it, 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 it's just like a sport to me where it's just like, you just practice. Mm. Is that also why you're interested in UFC as well? Yeah. Yeah. I like UFC for that reason. I just, I love like, dude, it's so, another thing is like, we're pretty soft and it's kind of cool to see two dudes in their underwear fight to death, <laughs> fight to the death in front of millions of people. And I think that, that I love that aggression. Yeah. So you had Ariel Hawani on your podcast and I've also had Ariel Hawani. On oh, you have? Yeah. He's cool, right? Yeah. He's the person I was most nervous to speak Th with. That's what I was just about to say. Why Ariel Hawani of all people were you most starstruck by and most nervous to talk to? So he... Um, Ariel is this UFC guy. What's his show called? The MMA Hour? Yes. He's had a bunch of shows. He's got like millions of followers on Twitter, millions on YouTube. He's like a big deal in our, it's like a medium-sized world. And he's like the guy. Uh, and he basically is building a media empire by himself. And he would go to these shows, these UFC shows by himself with just an iPhone and just start recording. And I think that's amazing. I think he's really cool. He also doesn't take any shit. 
So I, I respect him. He's a really good interviewer. But you, you've also had crazy successful people, more successful, quote unquote, than Ariel. Yeah, like we have Paris Hilton coming on. That would be no fun. No way. So that would be fun to talk to her. Uh, but, but you're not going to get nervous for Paris Hilton. Or will you? No. Why not? What's the I mean, maybe there? nervous, like, you know, I want to impress her mm. or like I want her to know that this is like a big deal because she's more famous than I am, right? So like I want like, of course, there's like I, we want to impress her. But no, he's more... I'm not nervous that he's, she's going to say anything that's going to hurt my feelings. Mm. With him, I was like, I respect you so much. Like, I, I want to, I want you to think that I'm legit. Yeah. So, uh, he, I, I think that we admire, I just admire people who come from nothing and do something cool. And mm. he's totally that guy. Mm. And for me, at least, I get nervous around other interviewers because I'm yeah. like, oh, they know what I'm doing wrong now. And that, kind of they they know the craft better than me and then I'm like oh shit am I doing the wrong thing yeah and he's good so like he he's good he knows his shit and he, he doesn't mess around so I'm nervous around him a lot what did you think you were nervous around him a little bit but he was really nice and he was like oh I see myself in you and I was like oh shit this and is, he this came cool. here no no this was online yeah earlier he, in the year uh he's amazing yeah, yeah I'm a big fan of his but but back to you I mean one thing I got to bring up is the cross-country motorcycle trip. <laughs> and you said, because I met so many people, I was able to catch a glimpse into their lives. While everyone was so kind and happy, I realized that small town living isn't for me, nor is working a normal nine to five job. I've since begun working on a new startup with the co-founders of my previous startup. Was that the hustle? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is that weird to listen back to just when you were starting? Or, or is it, well, I was I, 26 when I wrote that, 25. Yeah. How old was I? I think I just turned 25. So basically, I had just started this thing called HustleCon, which is like this conference thing. And what I would do is I would host it and make like a quarter of a million dollars and then take the money and go travel and then like do it again. And I was like, all right, this is cool, but it's a little hedonistic. Like I, I need like some structure. I want like impact. I want to do something a little bit bigger than that. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I, what I was referring to. And so, yeah, that was that business. And, um, yeah, it worked out. Uh, it was awesome. Like traveling, I'm going to do it again in probably in a couple months, uh, that motorcycle trip. I think I spent like five grand, including the cost of the motorcycle for like eight weeks. And it was totally worth it. What did you learn about the country other than So that? I have lived in San Francisco for eight years. I now have a house in Austin and I live here. I've been... I've, I've, I'm, I've been a little bit over the around the world, but I've mostly been all over America. And like, there's this like weird thing where people in New York think that like people in the South are one way and vice versa. Yeah. That's not true, in my opinion. Most cities are the same. Like most tier one cities, like cities with like maybe 800,000 plus are mostly all the same. Hmm. The suburbs, mostly always the same. And like the rural areas, mostly always the same. If you go talk to someone in rural Oregon, they're going to talk a little bit like they have a Southern accent. Interesting. You know what I mean? Why, why is that? I don't know. But have you ever met a Jewish person in LA? They'll talk like they're from New York. Yes. You know what so I mean? True. Like, so. And if you ever met a Jewish person in Alabama, they don't exist. They don't <laughs> exist. Yes. So like people are like mostly the same in these areas. And yeah. so like that, that was like my biggest takeaway about people. And how did you use Tinder to help the trip? I was on a budget, so I found lots of places to stay. <laughs> that was so funny when you mentioned that part in the, the recap. Well, it's like the easiest thing ever, right? Like a young guy who has a little bit of money traveling on a motorcycle. Like, it's just like, it's not, I'm not saying that I like fooled around with all these girls, but like, I, I mean, maybe, maybe not. But like, 
it's the e like who's not gonna want to go out to dinner with that guy? So it was like the easiest thing ever. So like it, it definitely didn't have to do with me. It was just like the story. So that was that was awesome. If you're like 25 and 26, you guys should do that. It was like really really fun. <laughs> That's a cool thing. Um, I feel like something about you that I I knew prior to doing research, but it was just so apparent is that you've intentionally or unintentionally sought out so many different types of experiences that it's made you as a human being really interesting to talk to. How much of that was intentional or unintentional? Very intentional. I mean, I don't do it to, I'm not doing it to be interesting or to impress you, but that's a cool byproduct. Yeah. I'm doing it because I just want excitement. I just, I, I, I don't drink or do any drugs anymore. I'm completely sober and like doing crazy shit like that is just like my little bit of my drug. I also think that like, this is like a little woo woo, but I like, I love manifesting. So like, just like having a vision and like as small as like a motorcycle trip. Like I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I think I decided to do that in like a week. I was like, I'm doing this next week. And like, just like, you know, telling people and they're like, that's crazy. It's like, no, watch, you, we could do it. So I really have just loved like, I, I, whether it's just a trip or a business or something, it's really fun to like, uh, uh, like, think of who you want to become and then just go and become it. Mm. And, and I've always, it's like this weird, I get really weird about it. I got a tattoo of the, of America on my leg. It's like this weird American dream of like, it's just cool to me that like you can have a, an idea, whether it's a business or meeting someone or becoming friends with someone famous or whatever. And like, you can kind of do it. And so <laughs> that's why I like doing all these like interesting experiences. What's the process for manifesting? Is it an idea in your head? Do you, how do you get inspiration? Do you write it down? What's yeah. Your process? So I set, uh, I set quarterly goals and annual goals. Mm. So like, it's like my body, my finances, my relationships, and then just like fun. Mm. So I usually set goals and then I leave room for like just making shit up. Um, but I set goals and I look at them all the time. So it's like this, I've never hunted before. A lot of people think that I like hunt all the time. <laughs> I've never killed an animal in my life. And this year I wanted to like hunt and like eat something that Why? I killed. Uh, because like, I, I think it's silly that I eat all this meat and I've never like been in touch with it. And I think it's kind of like, it's like almost a sin that I've done that. And mm. so I want to just experience that. And so like, I'll schedule like in, like, uh, in, for November, like a hunting thing. Mm. So I just like plan out these experiences. So that's simple. Uh, but then usually the way that I decide like what I'm going to go after is I'll get inspiration. And if it crosses this threshold of like, whatever my threshold is, I immediately act on it. So mm. for example... Let's uh, like, I've been thinking about, it would be fun to like learn how to be funny, like comedian funny. Like I've been watching like Theo Vaughn and all these guys on their podcast. I'm like, God, these guys are so good. Like I need to level up. And so like, I'll immediately go and book a class at like a comedy, you know what I mean? So I, I tend to like act really quickly. Mm. Uh, I, I like to move fast. I'm starting a new business now. And in eight weeks we got to like a $3 million run rate. Wow. I like to move really, really, really fast on things. And I think that creating that momentum makes it impossible for you to back out and it makes it more exciting and fun. So I move really quickly on things and I act, I'm very impulsive. I have the tattoo of my feet, it says act now. So I just, I love like having a, a small idea and just immediately, like within hours, like pursuing it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I could see a lot of cases in your own life that where that's been beneficial. Are there any cases where it's been negative? Yeah, it's a net positive. Yes. Of course. Like I've started things and I'll get like a month in. I'm like, ah, I don't really want this. This is stupid. But at least you know now as opposed to thought in your head. Right. But so yeah, but I'm okay wasting resources 
early on in a process, but knowing that at least I like did a little bit. Mm. So I don't mind quitting. Um, I'll quit stuff all the time. How do you decide what to quit? You, I just went where I get energy. You know, like I for a long time I was like I read a Steve McQueen biography and I was like, he raced cars. He's like this famous actor in the in the sixties and seventies and eighties who raced cars and motorcycles. And I was like, I want to race cars. So I went and took three car racing classes. And after the third one, I was like, I don't really like this. So I, I'm not going to get into this. And I was going to like buy a house that I can like store like a race car and do all this thing. <laughs> but I went to the class. I'm like, this, I don't, this get, sucks. I don't get energy from this. This doesn't excite me. I don't want to do this. So I just bailed. So uh, just like whatever gives me energy. What's giving you energy right now? Starting my new business. Hmm. Um, being here in New York has given me a lot of energy. Um, meeting people who are really good at what they do that are not in my field, like Hassan. Hmm. Um, and fake Hassan. Yeah, and the fake one. That's been giving me a lot of energy. Uh, yeah, I say those things mainly. So about the living situation, you have a really interesting setup right now where you spend, I think, eight or nine months in Austin and three months in New York City. Yeah, I spend four months usually in New York and the rest in Austin. And so how do you settle on that arrangement where you could live anywhere, any city in the world basically, but uh, yeah. those are the two you've chosen? I'm from Missouri. My wife's from New York and her parents live uh, up here uh, uh, in Uptown. Um, and we, when we got married, she made me promise that I would like raise kids around her family. And I thought I was on board with that. I was like, all right, that's cool. And so we lived in San Francisco where we met and I had an office in Austin. And when the pandemic hit, her and I just like lived in Airbnbs throughout the country. And we just drove all over, you know, like a lot of people did. And HubSpot called me in like October or something or, and, and they were like, uh, you know, I thought they were going to buy us. And I was like, you know, Sarah, we're not like California. We're not living in California anymore. Like we might as well like bolt on down to Austin and like become like make that our home. Mm. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. We have friends there. And so we did, but she doesn't really like Austin. And I think Austin's only okay. And so we were like, all right, let's just do both. And so we bought our house knowing that we were going to, we, we rented out. We rented out to friends when we're not there. And then we come up here and we rent here. And uh, it's been pretty easy. Would you recommend that arrangement or for other people as just like your specific scenarios? I love it. If yeah. you can afford it, like let's say we rent our place out for $7,000. Our mortgage is $5,000. So I make $2,000 in profit. And then I rent a place here for $9,000. But I, we kind of like think of it like, or just minus two off that. So that's $7,000 and it's furnished and it's like big and 2,100 square feet. And we're like, this is pretty sick. So if you can afford like, you know, five or six or $7,000 in rent. Yeah, it's, I think it's great. Mm. So that's cool. We'll, we'll take it back to before you can go multi-city living. And, and, and I drive, by the way. My wife flies and I, me and my dog. You're we, scared of flying, right? I don't like flying. I'll do it, but like I have to take medicine. And then I have this old dog. So me and my dog just drive up here and then we park our car. My in-laws have a warehouse in New Jersey because they own a moving business. And mm. I just park the car there. So it's like, it's kind of lavish. Like those numbers definitely are kind of high, but like I just drive here. Like, mm. you know what I mean? My yeah. wife just flies up here. And so it's like not that hard. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What was interesting, you said you take medicine and I, I find it interesting how medicine and drugs is the same thing, but just perceived differently. Well, I don't call it drugs because people think that it's like, uh, I'm doing it like, oh my God, sorry. I thought I had that turned off. Uh, I don't like calling it drugs because... Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I'm sober other than I take Xanax when I fly. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about being sober. What went into that decision? Man, so in 2000 and 
12 in like a three week period, I got arrested like three times and spent like a, a week or something in jail. Wow. And it sucked. And I got a DUI and then I was drunken fighting and then I had to go serve time for the DUI. Oh my God. Serve time. I mean, fucking three days, not like yeah. real time, but like in county jail. And um, I was like a mess. And I was like, this is, what am I doing? And I used to like pass out outside and I was like intoxicated for like every day for like three years. It was horrible. But it, I mean, it wasn't fun, fun. It was fun, like it was great. And I remember I got, um, I cold emailed Brian, Ch uh, Joe Gebbia, the founder of Airbnb. And I somehow schmoozed him and he was like, do you live in the Bay Area? And I was like, I don't even, I don't even know what the Bay Area means. But like, and I just said, yeah, like I'm there. And he's like, great, come to my office on Monday. And I was like, okay, what's the address? And he said, it was San Francisco. So I like flew out there, interviewed, got a job offer, moved back, went back to Nashville where I was going to school, you know, left school, got rid of all my shit, moved out to San Francisco. And the day before I was supposed to start, he called me and goes, you lied. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, um, you know, you clicked like, no, you don't have a misdemeanor and you do. And I was like, shit, because technically I, I didn't think I lied because I was like in the process of like getting all my convictions and stuff. And so, I, but I did lie by omission a little bit. So I don't blame him. And when that happened, I was like, oh my God, this is like impacting my life horribly. Like I, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I just quit and I- uh, Well, you didn't quit. They they fired you or- They fired me. Yeah. No, I mean, I quit. I quit. I was just like, I gotta quit get my team. shit right. And I remember I like still went wild for like another six months in San Francisco, <laughs> maybe like eight months or something like that. And I tried quitting a bunch of times. And then eventually, dude, I went to like, a, like it was called- um, South Market, South of Market, like homeless mental. It was like some crazy shit where I walked, I was just like, fuck it, what's, what is there? And I didn't have a job, I didn't have money. I was like, what can I go to to like help? And it was like a, basically a homeless clinic. I remember I had an iPhone and, and Air, uh, like these with the Apple Air. Yeah, and I remember I walked in and I was like, fuck. I took them off and I like put them in my pocket. I was like, I am out of place. What am I doing? Do I deserve, what am, what am I doing here? And I met with this doctor and she totally helped me. And up until recently, I was still seeing her for like 10 years. No way. So it worked out great. But like back then, you know, I was, my income was less than $15,000. So I qualified for Obamacare. Wow. So it, it kind of like turned everything around. Yeah, it was literally like a clinic off the street and like they're handing out pills to these people because they're like shaken because they're on like, uh, you know, they need like methadone for opioid stuff and they sell like coffee for 50 cents. It was crazy. Oh my it was God. crazy. Wow. Well, I want to kind of circle in on the Joe Gebbia part of the story where you schmoozed him because you kind of just said like, oh yeah, like I got a meeting with the founder of Airbnb. Like, well, at the time they had like 200 people. Right. So That's still a lot of people. It's still a lot. They were still like the it guys. So like it. it was less, it was less. What did you do? What did you say? I don't even, uh, I don't remember. Do you remember this thing called, how old are you? 27. You maybe were too young for this, but there's this thing called reportive. And back then in 2011 and 2010, when it came out, I was in college and it was a software that you would plug into your Gmail and you could type in someone's email address and it would tell you all about them. Wow. Like their LinkedIn profile, this and that. And um, it was like new and kind of unheard of. And I discovered it and then I created an Excel sheet. So you could put like, let's say my email is uh, sam at sampar.com. But like, I only know that my first name is Sam, my last name is Par and my URL will likely be sampar.com. So Joe, 
and then Gebbia and then Airbnb.com. Yep. I created this email thing that created all these permutations of what his email possibly could be. So Joe Gebbia, Jay Gebbia, uh, Gebbia at Airbnb, like all these things. And then you could just, I found a hack where you could like put that in the email template box and then just highlight each one. Reportive would tell you which one's the right email. Wow. And I was like, hey, you guys should use this to get new hosts because you're trying to, or something like that. And frankly, that like hack wasn't that cool, but I like, he thought it was cool that I was like showing him. And so he was, so then he like handed me off to like an underling and like I got like a job, they're paying like $20 an hour or something like that. Like it, it was a pretty unglamorous thing, but that's how it happened. I just emailed him and he was like, oh, I appreciate like you're trying, um, you know, uh, I'll hand you off. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so really it worked cool out. Story. And the other company that I was talking to was UberCab. At the time, it was called UberCab. Now it's called Uber. And uh, so, I, yeah, I just would email these people and, and, and just do little tricks like that. Not tricks, but you know what I'm saying? Just like little endearing things. Yeah. Well, did you get a job at Uber? You, you no, I didn't Uber? make it past like the third. Because the misdemeanor? Or something else? Uh, no, I, I just probably blew it. <laughs> I, I don't, that, that was probably just on, on my own accord. But no, I didn't even make it past like a certain point. I got kind of far actually. And I would have been like maybe 200 there. I would have made some money, mm. but whatever. Did you use those rejections from Uber and Airbnb as chips on your shoulder Hell when you yeah. were starting in your own thing? Chips on shoulders, it gives chips in pockets. Shout right. out Josh Wolf. Yes, that's a guest. great phrase. Uh, yeah, hell yeah. I grudge, uh, grudge and rage is like the best fuel on earth. I am still trying to piss off my high school girlfriends. <laughs> like I do things and I'm like, I cannot wait till Aaron Coyne sees this. <laughs> and like, what else do you use? Like what, what other? Dude, so many ex-girlfriends. Like I've got like, I mean, I don't have that many ex-girlfriends and like they, we probably, it, the relationships mostly ended because I was an asshole, but, or some, it was probably all my fault. But like, I still like use that rejection of like, I'm gonna prove you wrong. Yeah, I use that constantly. So just like women rejections. Uh, and then just like, like I'm, there's this one guy out here who runs a multi-billion dollar, I mean, fuck, I'll say it, Ben Lear. Ben Lear, he runs uh, Thrillist. He started Group 9. He probably won't even remember this, so it, whatever. I met with him and I told him about this idea for the hustle. And he was like, this will never make more than a, like a million dollars a year. This is like a little business. Don't even, like, he kind of, I don't know if he said it exactly, like just don't waste your time, but it was like implied. Like I felt bad about myself after meeting him. And I remember thinking about that all the time. I like wrote down what he said and I'm like had it on a, and, and when we sold, we were doing like millions of dollars a month, uh, you know, like tens of millions of dollars a year. And I remember like just wanting to prove him wrong. What about the New York Times journalist who nagged you hard? Do you remember? Yes, that one? it was Nellie Bowles <laughs> or Bowles or B O W L E S. And I emailed her when we just started the hustle and asked if she wanted to freelance. And she replied with, That's cute, but no thank you. Good luck. Oh my God. And uh, I hope. She sees us. I hope you see this, Nelly. Thank we'll you. We'll send it to Nelly. Yeah, we'll Nelly. She probably doesn't even remember this, but it, it, look in your email. I don't have access to that email anymore. But it was um, in 2016. It was probably uh, fall time of no. Uh, yeah, it was fall of 2016. You'll re just look up Sam Parr. You'll see. It was probably from Sam at hustlecon.com. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Well, speaking of journalists, who are Sid Finch, Steph Woodfield, and Steve Garcia? So when, so the hustle for the listeners, it's like this email that goes out to millions of people now. And when we started, I was the only writer. 
And the way that we got our first 100,000 subscribers and maybe we got 150 in a year, something like that. And we got them all because I would blog. I was just, I, would, I was a blogger and I would write like one to five blog posts a day. I would just blog a ton. And sometimes I would get like, we would do like outrageous stunts where we would like um, take Soylent only. Like we, or we would, what would we do? We would like live on Soylent, which is like slim fast for nerds, like for 30 days. It was like a powdered drink. That's all it was. It's kind of gross. Just stupid stuff to get, cause controversy. And eventually I was like, I need more personalities because I can't think of anything else to do or say. And so I would like, I was like, write from a woman's perspective. And that was Steph Whitfield. So Steph would like write these stories and it was me, but it was like, from the perspective of a woman. And then Steve Garcia, that's a combination of Steve Jobs and Jerry Garcia. And we would buy LSD on the dark web and like talk about it. And like, I had a friend who would microdose LSD before it was even popular. And I would like write from his perspective. Wow. Um, and like I had, uh, Sid Finch is a character from a, a Sports Illustrated, their April's Fool, April Fool's edition. They created this guy named Sid Finch who could throw a fastball 150 miles an hour. And he was from the Amazon and had size 18 feet. And I saw that and I was like, oh, that's sick. I'm gonna make Sid Finch like one of my characters. And so I would just like make all these characters and that's how I would write from their perspective. They often say that fiction writers can go crazy because they're they're having the storyline and living in the plots of so many different individuals. Did you ever feel multiple personalities or were you able to just write? And I was able, to me, it was a means to an end. Mm. I like writing and I like creating, but not like a real writer does. Mm. To me, it was just like, it, this is just a tool to achieve a mission. Interesting. You are a real writer though, but it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel that way. I'm a real writer. I, like I have it in me to express myself, but like I had a study, I had worked hard to improve my writing. Like I, I spent like a long time trying to like get good. Yeah. It didn't come natural. That's surprising. When you look at your writing, you're like, wow, this is, this well, seems you. like a natural. No, no. But, but I it wasn't to, that way. So I did this thing called copy work. And so what I would do is I would print out famous, I would get famous books, famous TV scripts, movie scripts, famous sales pages, famous websites, famous infomercials. And I would write them out word for word by hand. Mm. And that's how I learned how to write. And so I would like feel the texture and like understand why, like you see patterns. You're like, oh wow, John Steinbeck never uses a word with more than two syllables. Or like Ernest Hemingway, all of his sentences are really short. I don't even remember if that's true, but like you see things like that. Mm. And you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. This guy writes at like a fourth grade reading level, but like I feel these like complex emotions. And so like, I would like learn these things. It's just like learning an instrument. You know, mm. when you learn an instrument, you like, play a Jingle Bells and then like a Bob Dylan song and then like a Green Day song. And then after a while, you're like, I'm going to combine this and this and this and that's my, my now going to be my thing. Mm. So that's what I would do at writing. You know, it's interesting. You talking about that makes me think of, I want to be the best podcaster I possibly can be. So why don't I go look at Joe Rogan or other successful podcasters and literally speak out loud the things that they say will probably make me a better speaker. It definitely speaker. works. Wow. Uh, there's science behind copy work. Um, I gave a talk about it and I, like somewhere in Utah or something the other day. And I was giving a talk about how I, that's why I learned and someone raised their hand and they're like, I'm a, you know, a doctor or whatever. And like the, the science behind that is this, this, and this. And there's actually a lot of proof behind it. And I was like, oh, sick, thanks. You kind of proved my point. And so, yeah, there is like some, some science behind it. And people can check this out at copyworks or copythat.com? Oh yeah, I made a little thing. So a lot of people are asking me how to get good copywriting. So I made a thing called copythat.com. Mm -hmm. And I just like put together like 10 letters, 10 like bits of writing that I like. And I explain why they're cool. And you can just copy them by hand. That's so cool. So people can try that out at home if they want. Well, you mentioned before about being woo-woo and like doing this manifestation. One woo-woo thing you've done that's recently worked is hypnotherapy. 
Yeah. What's that been like? And what have you learned about yourself from Dude, doing hypnotherapy? You have to listen to this shit. This is crazy. So there's this lady named Grace. What's Grace's last name? Maybe Grace, Grace is Smith. Is it Smith? Is it Smith? GraceSmith.tv, I think is her URL. And she has been begging me to like hypnotize me. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. And so I do consulting and I charge people $2,000 an hour. And I only open up two hours a week, uh, 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. on a Friday. And she booked an hour. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? She goes, I'm so convinced that my thing is going to be good that I'm paying two grand for you to do this. And I'm going to do it to you right here on the spot. And if you like it, feel free to tell people about it. And I'll continue doing it for like eight weeks if you want. Like, whatever. And I was like, tell me about yourself. And she goes, I'm in a, a hypnotist for executives and I typically charge a million dollars a year. And I was like, lady, I'm not paying you a million dollars to do this. And she goes, I know, but just let me do it to you. And so she did. And I've been using it to crave my sugar and it totally has worked. And now I'm trying to do it for flying. Wow. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty rad. It's basically like people are like, you like go under and that's not exactly, it's just like you're meditating mm -hmm. and she's talking to you and you're saying words back. So like that's the easiest way. And like she tells you stories, like imagine yourself doing X, Y, and Z, but it's been pretty good. What type of words do you say back? Oh no, but I mean, she'll be like, uh, all right, imagine yourself in a cave and it's completely dark. You know, like uh, what emotion do you feel right now? Mm. And, or like for food, it's been like, imagine you're with five-year-old you and you um, tell them like, it's, you know, you're gonna have an issue. Go ahead and tell them, you know what I mean? Like you like talk. So it's like a weird therapy meets meditation. Yeah, well, that's super cool. I, I definitely want, do they have like a, a less than a million dollar version or a She's got non famous like a, podcaster I could, version? Well, I think you could like do like $200 a session or something like that with one of her like associates. And then she has an app. Interesting. Um, but I don't know if people actually pay a million dollars. That's what it says on her website. It'd be, that's, that's a lot of money. It's good anchoring. It's like the best anchoring. And then if she, cause she was like, yeah, okay, but for you, it'll be a hundred grand. I'm like, oh, really? That's it? <laughs> Cheap. Uh, yeah, no. 90% off. Yeah, so it's, it's very good anchoring, but it's been amazing. I, I wish I would have tried it earlier. Yeah, so you're connected to so many interesting people. One of them was Ross Albright and American yeah. Kingpin, one of your favorite books, which was incredible. Everyone should read that because it was... It was fascinating. I read it like two years ago. But yeah, it's amazing. I'm going to reread it. Probably. One of your favorites as well. Yeah. But you knew Ross. Ish. Uh, acquaintance. Mm. Hung out once or twice. Uh, I went, we were not friends. But basically, uh, we were, you know, as friendly as you can be of having a few conversations. And I went to a party and I was flirting with this girl. Her name's Sasha. And I thought things were going well. And this guy comes in and like totally stole her from me. Wow. And he was like charming, he was really good looking. And I was like, oh, well, you know. Can't yeah. win a ball. Yeah, he won that one. And you know, we chatted a little bit. And then he, uh, like, I forget how long, a few months or a few weeks later, I lived in this neighborhood called Glen Park. Mm. And I lived five doors down from a library. Mm. And there was like shit going on there. And I looked at the news and they're like, this guy who created the Silk Road, which at the time had, was selling like one or $2 billion a year worth of uh, drugs. It was like eBay for drugs, got arrested in that library. I was like, shit, our library? Like that was right, it's literally like I could, I could throw a rock at it. Like Did you that, walk out the door and- He got arrested I think at two or 4 p.m. Yeah. And it, I got home at work at like five. And so I actually just missed the commotion. But I remember like, 
uh, you read the book, they like described Glenn Park. They were like saying the person was at Bella Coffee. I was like, that's my coffee. Like it, it was crazy. And anyway, I looked at the picture and it was Ross. And I remember I was friends with him on Facebook and he had like shared, like he was like a derivatives trade or a currency trader or something. That's like what he said he did for work. And he had, I remember he was selling a truck for like $2,000, like just doing normal guy stuff. And he lived up the street from us. And I had talked to them at the party about that, I think. And um, it was crazy. And I'm like, it's like, it's like, it's like Al Capone, you know, getting mm. arrested. Yeah. And like seeing all this stuff, it was pretty cool. But yeah, and then the next day, I go to my friend Billy. I go, Billy, have you heard of this thing called Bitcoin? Like this dude who I met just got arrested. I had heard of Silk Road, and I, I had a friend that had bought Adderall off of it, and that's how I knew about it. And I was like, Have you heard of this thing called Silk Road, where you like buy like Coke and like Adderall and shit? And he was like, Yeah. I was like, Have you heard of this thing called Bitcoin? It's like this thing. I don't really know what it is. He goes, Yeah, my dad says it's gonna be like the next best thing. And like, he's showed me this website called Coinbase. And that guy, Billy, his dad is Tim Draper. He's this billionaire guy who uh, is, you know, Tim's son, other son, Adam has a Bitcoin accelerator now. And like, I just so happened to be with Billy that next day. And he goes, my dad thinks it's gonna be cool. And I was like, all right, well, you're, I don't know what it is, but your dad thinks it's cool. And he's like a billionaire. He's like a successful investor. I'll buy some. And so I bought a bunch then. And that was like, it worked out. It's, it, I think back then it was like a hundred dollars. Yeah. Well, that's or crazy. less. I don't remember whatever it was. And when he got arrested, it's interesting. Cause it feels like from listening to my first million that you are kind of anti crypto in a way. I'm not anti crypto. Yeah. I'm just pro just build a business that makes money in normal ways and do it for 20 years and get rich. Yeah, <laughs> no, that makes sense. But it's cool seeing you so deep into tech, but also not getting flustered by all the latest happenings. Why do you think you've been able to do that? Um, because I'm, I think I'm just kind of fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like I like- Clip that. <laughs> Like when people like talk about like crypto and stuff, I'm like, I just don't understand this. Like, I, I just, I just don't, my, I say to Sean, I go, my oven doesn't burn hot enough. Like I can't, like there's not enough horsepower up there to like figure this out. And so either in most cases, it's like, if I can't figure out it out, it's bullshit. Or in some cases it's just, I'm just not smart enough and it is legit. Mm. And like, I do think Bitcoin's legit, but I think most of the Web3 stuff is fucking stupid. Mm. And I don't understand it because it's bullshit and no one truly understands it and there's no actual purpose for it. I think in theory, it's cool. If you could find an interesting application, yeah, I'm on board, but uh, yeah, so I don't get sold on that type of shit easily. And also like I've made a lot of money just doing dumb, boring stuff. Oh, I did, I executed okay but I would like focus and just do it for a long time. And that's worked out. And I just think like, if you, instead of just like jumping from thing to thing, you just spend like eight years doing one thing, you'll probably be significantly better off. Mm. What gave you the focus? Well, at first I was so poor that I just like, this has to work. And like, if you do the math and like in the most people's case, like, let's just say to make, let's say, I'll just use a round number, $10 million by the age of 30. More likely than not, it's not going to come. It could come from cash flow. So it could come from like an annual salary. You'd have to make like probably one to $1.5 million every single year from the age of 20 to 29, you know, with taxes. And then you put it in the market and it grows at 8% a year. 
that's really hard. Mm. That's not impossible, but that's really hard. Or you have a bunch of things going and you make like 10 grand a month from this and that and this. That's also really hard. Or you do one thing and you sell it and you get taxed at a better rate, but like it's probably easier to sell a business for $15 million than it is to have a business that makes a million dollars a year for 10 years. Mm. And if you just do the math, you're like, okay, so I should like focus on like this risk is the risk reward ratio is significantly better if I do this thing and focus on it for like eight years and then sell it. And because if, if you have a business that's making like three or four million in revenue, which isn't that hard if you dedicate five years to it, you p maybe could sell that for like 10 or it doesn't, it matters what type of business it is, but for like 10 or 12, mm. that would get you to your number. And so just like focus on that one thing. And oftentimes by the time you're, by the time that people who jump around from shit to shit, dude, if you just would have like by year three, you're going to look back and you've done five things. You're gonna be like, I should have just done that one thing for all three years. And I would have been way further along than all three of these or four of these projects combined. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But what's interesting is that- Like you with your podcast, it's yeah. like, should I focus on like TikTok, this thing? And then maybe I'll create like a course on how to podcast and then I'll do this. It's like, dude, just get your YouTube audience really big and then that will make everything else easier. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like- it's hard because so much comes up and it's like, you gotta have a newsletter. You just say you no. I know, yeah, yeah. You say no. Yeah. Not only do you say no, you make of a list of all the things that you wanna do and you pick the one, maybe two that you want and then you cross off the other ones and you say, I'm actively going to avoid those. Did you have a list of yeah. things that you actively were avoiding? Yes. Well, yeah, like what was on that this. list? Social media. So if we're running the hustle, it's like, we're, I don't care about our Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. We didn't have an Instagram for the first three years. Wow. Me personally, I didn't have an Instagram either. I was like, I don't care. All I care about is my email list. I'm growing this email list. That's all I'm doing. I'm not gonna, um, like, what did we do? Like we had people wanting to do ads on our website. We had people wanting us to become an agency and write for them. We had all this like interesting opportunities. No, 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 no. We're not doing any of that. We're only doing this one thing. Mm. And, and it, that was mostly good. I think there is a time where you want to diversify and potentially we actually waited too late to do that. But you want to like focus, 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 focus. That, there's basically only two things maybe three things that a startup has over a small company about like what small businesses have over big companies, which is the ability to move quickly. So speed, the ability to focus, because most big companies have like so many things going on that they just can't focus on all of them or like something's, if they're a billion dollar company, like, oh, this little like hundred million dollar thing is just not worth it for us. Um, and then maybe like a lack of bureaucracy, but that kind of goes back to the speed thing. You can move faster. Mm. And how did you make sure you had a lack of, like, how did you make sure you had speed when you were building the hustle? Like, were you there looking over people's shoulders? I was watching a tour of the the office back in the day and it was cool to see you walk around. That people. was, uh, you know whose office, you know who I rented that from? Who? Craig Newark, you know who Craig Newark is? I don't. Craigslist. No way. That was Craigslist's office. <laughs> so from 2006 to 2015 or 16, whenever we rented that from them, that was their building and they were, it was an apartment that they worked out of. And at the time they were making like $600 million a year in revenue. You're like, there's something on the walls here that is just gonna see through. Yes, I worked on his desk and his desk was a kitchen table. Cause he was like, uh, it weighs too much and I can't get it out. You just want me to leave it here? Like, yeah, leave that here for leave, sure. Leave everything exactly how yeah, it is. That was, <laughs> it was Craigslist and they had, it was a, a $3,000 a month apartment. That was our office. 
and it was in the inner sunset. It's uh, and like everyone in the neighborhood knew them because they're it was Craig, and then he had a CEO, and the CEO is like six ten, and he had like long hair, and like everyone knew who these guys were, and they were like, oh, you're working out of Craig's office. Uh, but that was his office, and uh, it was just like literally fourteen of them making all that money. How did how do you look back at those early days now that the journey of the hustle is somewhat over? For it was you? fun. It was awesome. It was really hard work. I was really fat and unhealthy, so like that sucked. I mean, but it was it was really hard, but it was really fun. It, it was exciting. Yeah. Uh, starting stuff, particularly when you, I mean, like being wealthier is like definitely easier. Mm. Like they're, they're, obviously, that's an obvious <laughs> statement, but people are like, money doesn't make you happy. I'm like, kinda. They're like, well, it just like removes a bunch of stress. I'm like, yeah, that makes me happy. Like not like worrying about like how I'm gonna like buy braces for my kids. Mm. That makes me happy. But there is something to say about like when you're scrappy and you don't have anything and you're all in it together. It was really exciting. It felt like I was in like, felt like I was like in war. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like a miniature version of like a battle. Yeah. And it was pretty awesome. It's pretty fun. You set a goal for yourself of, or a manifestation of, I'm going to have $30 million, or I'm going to have $10 million or $20 million by 30. 20 by 30. 20 by 30. What gave you the idea for that specific number? When did you set it? And how did you- I think I set that when I was 21. Okay. And I asked a bunch of rich people how much money they spend each month. Mm. And the person who spent the most said like 60,000 a month. And I was like, oh my God, that's so much money. And I read that if you have a lump sum and you live off 3% of it, that that's enough that the lump sum will continue to grow and you could use that money just to live on. And that, you know, math turned out to be like the number was like 20 or 25 million. And so I just, that's, I just made it up. It was that simple. Um, yeah, I don't know, is that, it was kind of, I kind of winged it. And then how do you go about executing that? Like, dude, it's the math the, equation. So yeah. think about it. You have a business. If you want to make $20 million, you have to live in a certain state that has a certain tax, so you take that into consideration. Or if you live in California, New York, then you just take that into consideration. So to make $20 million, you need to own 100% of a business and sell it for like 28. Or you own like 80% of it and sell it for like 32. Or You know what, like you just do the math and then it's like, all right, the skill set that I'm good at is this, means I could start this type of business and the typical multiples that those businesses sell for are this to this. Therefore, I need to get to this to this revenue and maybe there's a chance I could sell. Mm. And I just work backwards. You know what I mean? I just said like, all right, if we can get to like 12 million in revenue, I think we could sell for like 36 million, which means I own this. And you know what I mean? I just like, you just yeah. do the math. Uh, and that's how it was that simple. Do you think if you set a goal of 200 million by 30 or 32, you would have got there? Do you think it's literally that simple? It's that, again, it's that simple, but it's not that easy. Mm. It's not easy to do it, yeah. but it's simple. Yeah. yeah, like everything I said was very easy to understand and simple. Uh, do I think it would have been bigger? Maybe not. I think like to get to some of those big numbers, you got to raise money and I don't want to do that. Mm. It's hard to bootstrap a business if you starting, starting from nothing and not having funding, it's pretty hard to get to some of those huge numbers at a young age when you don't know what you're doing. Not mm. impossible, but it's pretty hard. Mm. It's interesting. Uh, you like to say, do epic shit a lot. That's one of your favorite- I say that? Yeah, that's one of your favorite phrases. <laughs> What's the most epic shit you've ever done? I don't know, man. I don't know. I think that you're overplaying this. I like, for the last like three weeks, I've sit in my apartment <laughs> and work. Like I don't, yeah. like, I'm, on my, I'm on a laptop. I remember like, 
every once in a while when you're starting a startup, particularly a media startup, these people will like email you and be like, hey, we want to do like a film something like about how you guys are doing. I'm like, dude, it's just a bunch of us like looking disgusting, sitting behind a laptop (laughs) with headphones on, not talking all day for like 80 hours a week. Like this is not exciting. Yeah. So that's what I do most of the time. Um, What did... What epic thing have we done lately? I took my parents to Europe. They'd never left the country. That's Flew them first class to Europe. That was like pretty fucking epic. Um, I haven't done that. I went clamming the other day. You know what clamming is? No. I have these friends that are Native Americans up in the Hamptons, and they live on the reservation up there. How do you become friends with them? My wife's family friends. They just grew up with them. And they're like these Native Americans, and they like live... I guess like somehow they, the reservation is on like the best land in the Hamptons. I guess that was like, they just said, this is your land. You were here first, it's yours. And so it was on the beach in the Hamptons and that's where their house is. Wow. And they go clamming every day. So you take off your, you know, you just go in your swimsuit barefooted and you walk out there and you just feel clams and you reach down and you grab them. And we had about like 30 pounds of clams <laughs> after like two hours and you go and grill them and eat them. That was like, the, it was like the most fun that I've had in like years. Yeah. Went clamming with a bunch of Native Americans in the Hamptons. I feel like the best, best things come from when you're in nature, when you're in touch, but it's so funny because so much of our world, the world that you and I operate is behind keyboards, behind looking at a phone. How do you balance those two? Dude, I bought a ranch in Texas. Sick. Like six or in April. Because and I turned it into an Airbnb, and it was because I was like, I need to get off the internet. Like I need to see. Like I need. I need to make things, and I want to feel it. Yeah. So I did that, and so yeah. Like I'm like really, I get sick of being on computers all the time. I think that like I'm gonna measure my life in the future of like how much time I spent in front of a screen. I'm like the least amount, the happier I am. Um, yeah, so I did the Airbnb thing just so I didn't want to be on a screen anymore. Mm. So I balanced it that way. I um, I exercise a ton. I'm always outside. I'll like take a lot of my calls during the day, like sitting shirtless outside, barefooted, like in this park, just like taking calls. That's why I had the, the that big headset over there because that's the best headset for um, wind. Uh, so I could take all those calls, or I'll ride around the scooter and take calls because you can't, no one could tell. So I like I'm always outside doing that type of stuff. Yeah, and you mentioned getting jacked before, or at least just building your body. When did you decide that you were gonna become a physical specimen? Physical specimen, yeah, right. <laughs> the vanilla gorilla. Yeah, the vanilla gorilla. Yeah, right. I I joke with my wife. I'm like, if corn were a human, it would look like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, I just look like the color beige. Uh, uh, Dressed to match. Yeah, well. I, just, I just look like one color. Uh, my wa- Have you seen, you know what my wife looks like? Yes. She's like p- p- kind of ripped. And it, it's she? like a little bit, it's like natural. She just looks at, you know, she's a, uh, She's half Jewish and half black, half Haitian. What a and mix. It, it's so like she took like the best of all the combinations. Are you Haitian? Oh yeah, she's Haitian. Haitian people. Are she's Haitian, and uh, her mom's a Haitian immigrant. And so she like took like you know like the best parts of both, all races, and like it's and she's like this kind of genetic freak, and she's got like abs if she doesn't try, and uh, it like works. She's got like big boobs, a big butt, and abs. And I'm like, how the fuck are you doing this? Um, and so she, but she eats really healthy and she exercises. And and I went to school on athletic scholarship, but I kind of got out of it. And then I, once I, we started dating, and once I had more free time, I was like, all right, Sarah, I gotta, I gotta beat you. Like I, I gotta catch up. And so like 
I learned about like healthy eating. I didn't know anything about eating. I didn't know what a carb was until recently. Really? I mean, no, dude. Like, how old are you? 29. You're 29. I'm 33. So I'm a little bit older than both of you guys. But where I grew up, and when I'm younger, so most like 30 year olds, like your mom would give you like yogurt and a waffle in the morning. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like yogurt or what's that shit called? Uh, uh, gogurt. Like yeah. you know, it's like strawberry. Yeah. It's basically just straw, like the- yeah, it's like sugar and like cream. Yeah, and then like syrup, more sugar, and then like a microwaved or toaster waffle. Yeah, there's been a lot of new nutrition facts. Yeah, in the like- last. 20 years that we've learned from the internet. Yeah, and like, if you tell my mom that a Coca-Cola has 45 grams of sugar, it's like, you might as well say it has a million joules. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just like a made up phrase that it means nothing to her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like trying to imagine like an infinity amount of years. It's like an impossible thing to understand. Yeah. And so like, I grew up not knowing about any of that until like recently. So what'd you do to like, go about and start learning? Like, how do you know that that's what you need to learn? Was it your wife or? No, a little bit her, she would tell me, she was like, that's processed. And I'm like, so? You know what I mean? What's I'm like, what is, like that's that's good, right? Like it's convenient. <laughs> and so like I like like I remember because when we first met, I would love to eat like Oscar Mayer turkey out of a package. Okay. She's like, dude, that's like that meat is like taken apart and like squished together. I'm like, yeah, that's why it tastes good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so she kind of taught me. I also do this thing called my body tutor. Have you heard of that? Adam is a beast. I want to have him on the podcast. Oh, Adam Gilbert. Yeah, yeah. he's the guy who runs it. So basically, I pay six hundred dollars a month, and my woman Heather, my coach. <laughs> My woman. She's like my my. She's like the lady that calls me every day. She calls. I just call because uh, my wife will, at nine forty five. Heather calls me. Wow. And she goes, "All right, um, what are you gonna eat today?" Mm. And I have to tell her like what my plans are. And she goes, "All right, cool. Yesterday you ate this, this, and this, according to my fitness pal. How does that make you feel?" She's like, "I noticed that you cheated a little bit, and you had this, this, and this. If I do cheat," and she's like, "Are you proud of that?" She's like, are you, uh, like, did you plan that? Like, are you celebrating something? I was like, no. She's like, all right, well, maybe don't do that again. Like, and, and she's like, all right, well, today you're going to exercise hard. If I were you, I'd eat a sweet potato because that sweet potato is good for, like, a long burn. Like, it, it'll, it'll digest slower than, like, a protein powder or something. Mm. And she's like, do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And she goes, uh, I noticed today that you ate, like, mozzarella cheese. How's your stomach feel? I was like, you know, it's kind of funny. It kind of feels weird today. She goes, yeah, that's because like, I've noticed that like, I think that you might be a little bit lactose intolerant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she'll like yeah. explain these things to me. And so it's every day I talk for 15 minutes. That, do you think there's room in the market for a business person to do this too? Like checks up on you every day. Did you send those hundred cold emails? How does that make you feel? For sure. My fitness pal is like, makes it so easy. I measure all my food and like, yeah. I know like today I had uh, nine ounces of chicken with hot sauce and then a pear a banana and a tablespoon of peanut butter. Like it's just like so easy and like systematic. Yeah, maybe you could do it for business. I think, uh, uh, yeah, you, maybe you could. Yeah. It's a sick It's a sick thing though. Like it's totally helped. Speaking of, of business, how did you and Sean actually meet? Like was it love at first sight? Yeah, kind of. I A little bit. We met in 2014. He had this, there's this guy named Michael Birch. Michael Birch is this Irish dude who started this company called Bebo. And Bebo was like Facebook of Ireland. And Michael Birch saw that Facebook was like killing it. And he was like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta sell this thing. And he sold it to AOL for $800 million. And it's considered one of the worst acquisitions of all time mm-hmm. because like a year later it was like zero. And so, but he got the money and ran and he, he was like, it worked out. I, I make it sound like he was like being evil. He wasn't, but you know, we, they, he thought it maybe it could work out. But uh, anyway, he's this like billionaire guy now in San Francisco. And he had this thing called monkey inferno, which was like a quote, like 
lab where this super fancy office with like 12 or 20 engineers working on like interesting tech products with like a budget of, let's say, I don't, I don't know what it was, but maybe it's like $5 million a year. He's like, I'm going to spend $5 million a year. And if you guys can come up with one amazing thing, it will be worth it. You know, like a rich guy, like hobby. Yeah. Like a billionaire. Imagine like a billionaire, 35 year old tech guy, like what you're going to do. Maybe that's this. This is you in 30 years. Yeah. Right. And uh, Sean was the CEO of Monkey Inferno. And it was like the nicest office in San Francisco. And when I was hosting my events, I was always trying to get everything for free because I didn't have a lot of money. And so I said, Sean, um, my name's Sam. I have like these 15 speakers coming to my event on a Friday, Thursday night, I want to host a dinner. Would you let me host it at your office for free? And in exchange, I'll let you come. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, that sounds good to me. I was like, great. My, you just, you got to have people there to clean it, clean it when we're done, but I'll take care of all the food and that'll be our trade. And he said, that's cool. And so that's how we became friends. Wow. And what did you, what was the initial thing you guys bonded over technology and, and uh, business or was We it? were pretty different. So we, uh, he was like into tech and like the latest and greatest and he knew I wasn't, I mean, kind of was, but not really. So we just bonded over like our differences and we were both like pretty much go-getters. Like if we said we were going to do something, we, we did it. And when people like that meet, I think, you know, you like, like one another. Yeah. And we were the same age. Uh, he's a year older than me, but we were mostly the same age. So uh, he was 26. I was probably 25 or 24. And uh, we just got along. Around that time with friends and meeting people in Silicon Valley, were there are there any particular traits that are similar to the people who have been successful 10 years later? Yeah, a lot of them are fucking weird. <laughs> like I made a joke about this on the podcast. But like, I remember I lived in a, I couldn't afford a lot. So I lived in a warehouse with like four guys. And like, I remember one of them, like, I think was like legitimately uh, autistic. And I remember like at the time it was like cool to be autistic, like Mark Zuckerberg, because that meant that you were a better programmer. Wow. And I remember them like having competitions to see who was more autistic. <laughs> How, like what, what'd you do? Like I remember, like I remember like this distinct like time we were all hanging out and one guy was like, yeah, I was diagnosed with Asperger's. And I remember like all the other guys like being in like in the circle being like, oh, lucky. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just like distinctly remember that like feeling. I remember like this guy Shah who lived there, he was, he would like do these weird things like wear earmuffs all the time or like wear a scarf or like just be like awkward. And I'm like, dude, why are you acting like this? Like I could tell that he was doing it to get a better job at Pinterest. Wow. And, but so those guys weren't like the best, but I remember like a lot of the people I know who are like crazy successful, they're fucking weirdos. My best friend, Jack, sold his company at age 30 for like $850 million. Mm. He's so weird. Mm. He's so weird. He was doing ayahuasca and all that other stuff way before it was popular. And I was like, you're going to a guy's house for two nights to throw up after you drink this like thing. He goes, yeah, but like there's a shaman there to guide it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like he was in just weird, just into the weirdest shit. This guy, Jack, he'll buy literally $10,000 worth of like vitamins and supplements and test all of them. Oh my God. Or he'll like, that's like Hormozy. Alex Hormozy bought 50 different wife beaters so that he could see which is the best one. So my friend Jack does that. So what he does is, if you ask him anything, you'll ask him, what's the best book bag? He's got a spreadsheet where he literally bought 40 of them. He tests all of them and then mails them back and like keeps the one. And he's like, oh, the best carry-on. He's like, what, what do you need the bag for? I go, carry-on. He goes, it's this bag. It's actually advertised as a camera bag, but it has the most liters by volume for space. Or like when we, when we got married, 
he bought me a thousand dollars or so worth of like all of his best stuff. And he had like, for my wife, he bought her like the best shampoo for like black lady hair. <laughs> and I was like, how do you know this, Jack? He's like, well, I read all the reviews and like I study this and I know that my favorite shampoo has this chemical in it. And the, and he like sent me like a towel that has like copper in it because it doesn't mold or something. Anyway, he's like, so a lot of my friends who are like uber successful, they're fucking weird. A lot of them are incredibly intense. Yeah. Uh, so like intensity, because like what a lot of me and my buddies are trying to do is like get a lot done in like five years. Mm. So like huge amounts of intensity, like like and to the point like where I'm around people or we're always around people and like I've got, my wife's gotta be like, hey, you gotta stop asking this lady questions about like her salary. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you gotta like quit asking like all these questions. So like just pretty high intensity, um, incredibly high energy, mm. not like hyper, but like can focus for like 12 or 15 hours. Uh, most people are pretty good. Like they don't lie mm. um, and they're pretty honest. Uh, what else was there similarities? Just, just high intensity and weird. What's your weirdest habit or what's a weird habit that you haven't shared or aren't, you don't usually talk about? Uh, I know you got some weird shit, Tim. You're, you're too eccentric. Not I got weird. a bunch of homemade tattoos all over the place. I just bought a tattoo gun the other day. I'm going to do some legitimate ones on myself. I like giving, so I like homemade tattoos. Wow. Why? Because going to a tattoo parlor is whack. I don't want to like wait and like have an appointment with someone. Uh, I don't really talk to strangers. Like if I go to a grocery store and I can't find what I'm looking for, I'm not, I, I ain't asking. Why not? If my wife, because I'm just too anxious. I just can't talk to that person and ask. Sam, you, you sold the company for tens of millions of dollars and built a massive empire and you can't, and you uh, and also you ask people the most direct, honest yeah, questions. Yeah, because I'm in my setting. I'm in my. Yeah. I'm I'm driving. I feel you. Like if I go to a grocery, like the joke with my wife is like if we go, so, like she orders for me at a restaurant. I'm like I can't talk to that person. I, like I'm too embarrassed. I think there's a real power in connecting with strangers, and I think there's something there that you should consider getting over because maybe. Because when you can connect with another human being and see that that's another cool person and that they're happy to talk to you, it gives you some level of power and confidence of like, oh, I can go up to a stranger. I can introduce myself. I know I can do it. Like when I was single, I, I, I can meet girls sober on the street. I can walk up to a woman and like maybe there's a 50% chance I can like connect with her. Yeah. So I just don't feel like turning it on because I'm exhausted. It makes me so tired. Really? Like I'll like need to take a nap. Wow. Yeah, like it, whenever we would host conferences, I would go into like a coma for a week. I'm like, it was exhausting. So I'm just like, I, I don't want to turn it on. So like, I don't like talking to strangers at all. Like when we fly, I wear sunglasses, a hoodie, and I like, to, I don't even wear masks, but I'll wear a mask just because I don't want anyone looking at me or talking to me. I just want to be in my bubble. I don't want to speak to anyone. Um, so yeah, I don't like talking to strangers. Like if I go to a restaurant... I'll go to a restaurant and it's happened. I've ordered pizza and they'll bring me chicken. And I'm like, oh, fuck it, whatever. I just fucking <laughs> eat it. Like, so I just, I just can't stay on like- Not positive. confrontational. Not in that- In that regard. way. You are confrontational in other ways. Yeah, like if I see someone doing, like the other day I saw like someone throw trash out of their car and I went and picked it up and put it in their car. Like okay. I hate that. But like if it's just like a person who's like pretty polite and they just made a mistake, I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'll just, I'm not saying shit. Wow. So yeah, so that's kind of like a weird thing. Uh, like- I like, for example, I would never in a million years call the customer service line to get a refund. Yeah. Like, well, I'm just like, I'm not like, I've lost thousands of dollars because it's just like, uh, I just can't, I can't be bothered to like call this person and like do this. It's just going to take too much out of me. Well, that's all similar to the Naval thing of like, 
set an high hourly rate. For oh, yourself. I don't do it for that reason. You do it because you're scared to talk. Yeah, to I'm first. just like this two thousand dollar flight. Like I screwed it up. I'm like fuck it. I'm just gonna <laughs> like I'm just. I, but but did you still have that same energy when you were broke? Yeah, even then, I'm just like, it's just too uncomfortable. I just don't like talking to people. It's just embarrassing. Mm. I don't know. It's just weird. It's fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, so that's a weird habit. I don't know if I have any. My, I have weird eating habits. I mean, I, I have no problem eating a jar of peanut butter in one sitting. Yeah, yeah I like, think I'll that's, just, that's normal. I'll, I'll just, a lot of weird eating habits. No, I don't think I'm that weird. Um, I mean, I am, I think, a little odd, but I don't. That's probably the weirdest habit. Yeah. No, th that makes sense. I think there's definitely something there. But. While you're here, you you spoke about um, your friend Jack and doing ayahuasca, and you've got a great tweet here that I want to talk to you about, which is, I've got so many people in my circle who get some success, then do a bunch of psychedelics to find meaning or inner peace. My current thinking is this. If you're single slash childless in your 30s, 40s, and constantly using psychedelics to find meaning, consider having kids. I know I'm not insinuating that so you're that talking was, about Jack. That was not about Jack. First of all, Jack has kids. Yeah. And he's been using that for years right. before he was successful. And I think he maybe he dealt with like, I think he just has, he was just high strung and anxious and, and he was using it as medicine. Right. What I mean is a lot of my friends or people I know, they get successful and they're like, what's the meaning? And then they go and do all these drugs and I think a lot of times it, sometimes it provides like in, insight, mm. but then a lot of times it just makes them fucking weird and like disconnected to reality. Interesting. And I'm like, dude, why? Like, I think like when I think of what's the meaning of a life, I'm like, maybe one of, maybe it could be just to pass on my genes. Mm. Like I, I was thinking, and I've never read about this, so I could be totally wrong, but I'm like, I feel like everything's geared towards sex. Mm. Like why in power and money? Well, why? Well, like sex is to pass on my genes. And like, I've like been around nieces and nephews and I've been around like some like pet, which is a little about that. But I like, oh man, I need to like care for something. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I remember like being around a new, my newborn nephew and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like instinctual. Like I got to like, like protect this baby. And I was like, remember experiencing that. I'm like, man, if these fucking people just like quit worrying about like going to Tulum and like getting jacked all the time and like doing these drugs to like feel something, <laughs> like if they... Think about like what's how can I like provide care for others mm. and kid being like one of the best ways. I mean, I bet you like life would be a lot happier. Maybe it would be harder. It is hard, but like if it's a good pain, I think. Mm. So that's why I think that that got a lot of con that was, a lot of people got pissed off at that. Yeah, that's the thing about you in general. You're so comfortable with the opinion or perspective that isn't the most popular. And I think that is- That's crazy to me. That's definitely a popular opinion. The people who are bitching about that, they're idiots. Not, not a popular opinion for people in, in tech. They're, they're in tech, it's very cool and hip to say psychedelics are the future and everyone is going to be taking mushrooms. And yeah. that's the common current opinion. I mean, I think it's like, it's, it, uh, there's a place for it. Right. But like, there's also a place not to be Peter Pan. Like I've got so many friends that are Peter Pan. They're 40 year old like boys, you know, who act like fools with no responsibility. It's like, man, if this was like 1942, you would have already had like eight confirmed kills in the South Pacific. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let, let's do some shit yeah. that like actually matters instead of focusing on ourselves all the time. And like, maybe that might make you a little bit happier. Yeah, there's also a deep sense I get from you of nostalgia of the past when things were harder. And I, yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Like, I feel like part of my soul and part of me isn't being activated in this current modern world. Do you feel that too? Well, um, yeah, sometimes. That, so I like to box. I like to fight. Yeah. 
You got uh, knocked out. Uh, on my feet, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it was a little, it was like a- It was a, a technical knockout. A, a flash knockout, I think the call, I was like, out, oh, and I woke up like right away. But, it, and I love doing that because um, you feel alive and mm. you feel some adversity and you're like, oh my God, this business thing is stupid. Like, why am I afraid of this? So I like doing, yeah, I like like combat and I like pain. Um, it, yeah, I, I think that like life's, like it's the greatest time ever to be alive. And I know there's all types of bad shit going on and like, there's always ways to improve, but like, it's pretty fucking easy. Like, yeah. like you know, I'm not gonna die of hunger or thirst uh, in America, at least. Like, I'll be able to make, I'll be fine. Like, it, life's pretty good, and there's a lot of bad stuff, but it is pretty good. So mm -hmm. it's like, it feels good to have some adversity that's like placed in your life. So yeah, I do like that. I I wouldn't trade places with someone in a different time, that's for sure. Even though I do admire other eras, but I enjoy. Uh, learning about different eras because it makes it it makes it makes things seem achievable now mm. one question i like to ask people is what do you think is our modern day version of cigarettes cigarettes were accepted by oh, well that's easy social, social media, media. That's but, easy but other than social media what do you what would you say what's something that we're doing today that in the future driving what? driving yeah, yeah i think driving, driving. I, I ask myself that question all the time did you steal that from me? No, no. That's a good I've, one. I've been I asking that time. for years. So my version of that is, do you remember when you were younger, you would go to a restaurant and say smoking or non-smoking? Wow. And do you remember that? Vaguely, like very, for a very Like there was like a smoking time. section of a restaurant. Yeah. And like back then it was like normal. Now it's like, I can't even fathom what that's, you know, you can't even fathom that. Yeah. That's, I think of like, what am I going to say? Like, I can't even imagine that. So I think like driving 70 miles an hour on a one lane road and there's another car going 70 miles and it's a human being who could just sneeze. Like, I think that will be that. We're going to look back at that. We're like, I can't believe we did that for a hundred years. Barbaric. Yeah. Like, I can't believe that. Like, I think that's, that's a good one. So I think driving. Um, another thing is, I always thought it was weird and I know nothing about this, but I, I there might be something here, but I always thought it was weird how you can have like cancer or some type of illness and the conversation exists of like, dude, had we just found this out like three years ago? Had you gotten this MRI like last year? Mm -hmm. We could have figured this out. And I'm like, isn't that crazy that you've had something in your body that's gonna kill you? And had you just been like in closer vicinity to this thing, you it would have been solved. And I think that like in a hundred, I don't know when it's gonna happen. It's kind of happening now with like Levels, this company I invested in and then your whoop and all that mm -hmm. stuff. I think that like in the future, we're gonna know that like, hey, alert, alert, you've got this like thing that's like growing, you need to go check this out. Yeah. So I think that is gonna be, uh, I think like we're gonna look back and be like, did you know that you could have this like, you could have, like there's um, like Al Capone and uh, he, had, he had syphilis mm -hmm. and that's one of the ways he died was uh, I believe through syphilis, so an STD. And he got it like in his 20s and just for years he just had it and it slowly ate away at his brain and he got dementia. And when he died, he like didn't know who he was. And I'm like, isn't that crazy that this fucker had this for 20 years? And like you had, like maybe you thought you knew that he had it or he maybe thought like, oh, something feels funny. And I think that we're going to look back and be like, I can't believe you could have something in your body that was like causing harm to you and you didn't even know about it, but you would have been able to know about it had you just gotten tested. Well, do you know how George Washington died? No. George Washington had a migraine and... It was like an aneurysm. And what they did was they did something called bloodletting. So in order to release the migraine, they stabbed him and right. opened him up and he ended up bleeding out. No way. And that was only 300 years ago. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, it's wild, right? So you have to imagine what's like, and we look back and we're like, that's so stupid. Yeah. 
Like, what are we going to say like in 300 years about now? You know what I mean? Like, it's so stupid that we were doing X, Y, and Z. We were so stupid we were podcasting. Yeah, right. <laughs> so like I am, that's like something I think about is like what, what will change in that regard? Yeah. So back to the tweets. This is, this is, all these are great. But when I was younger and single, trying to get the courage to meet women, I came up with the strategy that helped. Restaurant owner energy. You know, you know how a restaurant owner confidently walks around to the tables just asking people how they're doing, like it's their job to say hey. But, and it continued on, but I didn't copy that part. Dude, but. it was like because I used to host these conferences, and like I would just walk around, and be like, "Hey, how are you? How are you?" And I noticed that like people would like open up, like their circle would like turn towards me, and I'm like, "Hey, you having a good time? All right, great. Well, thanks for letting me know if you like, you know, like that type of vibe." It's like the easiest thing ever. You know what I mean? It's so like, I remember like experiencing that. And I remember I worked at a waiter when I was a kid as a, as a bus boy, as a kid. And I remember like the restaurant owner would do that. And like people would like turn and it's like, um, you know, he could have, he could have just been like the manager. Who knows if he's, I mean, just a guy and he just kind of like, but he's just got this vibe and, uh, yeah, like it totally works. So I, I remember doing that. I would do that at bars with girls or at restaurants. I wouldn't act like I was the owner, but I would just like think about like how would this person act right now? Well, what, talk about the introduction to your wife, how you guys met. Yeah, <laughs> we were at a bar. There was not like a bar bar. It was like a happy hour thing for a friend who was like uh, going away party or something. And I saw her walk in and I was with my friend Lily. I go, Lily, that girl was really cute. I'm not letting her leave. Uh, without talking to me, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something to her, and Lily was like, "What are you gonna say?" I was like, "I don't know. I'm gonna figure out, figure it out." And like right as I was saying that, she was walking by, and I was like, "Hey, uh, what's the difference between a chickpea and a lentil?" She looked at me funny. I go, "I don't pay five hundred dollars to have a lentil on my face," and uh, she was like in shock, and I was like, "Yeah." Classic hummus joke, am I right? And she just like started laughing, and I was like, "Hey, I'm Sam. Nice to meet you." And and uh, we were like seriously dating five days after that. Really? <laughs> five days? Yeah, we moved fast. I mean, we dated for five years before we got married, but yeah, it was like hot and heavy early on. Wow. That's great. And to going back, circling back to the talking to strangers, you had no problem doing that in that situation. Yeah, because I wanted something. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> talking to girls has always been easy, but like maybe I just got soft once I got married. I'm like, Sarah, will you go ask that guy where the chicken is? You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's been, that was always fun. Cause I, you know, you, I read that book, The Game, just like every other like 15 year old. Neil Strauss. Yeah, once I, once I like read that book, I was like, oh, that's how, that, here's some, it's like, here's a magic trick that I could do in front of a girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? That helped, but. Uh, Did you go heavy into the game when you were a kid? Not really. I was just like a normal, awkward person. And I was like, how do I make girls like me? And I, like, it was fun to like read about like other nerds. It was inspirational. So yeah, I mean, it worked. I, I used some of those stupid lines on my wife and it worked out. <laughs> Dude, I got to we got to pull up a picture of you as a, a kid. I want your reaction to this it was photo I pulled up. I look like Napoleon Dynamite with braces. Yeah, let's let's pull it up real quick because it is it is something. Yeah, What's man. What's your reaction to this? I don't photo? know what my parents were let me were doing. Let me do that. I was in eighth grade there. That's amazing. It's yeah. just like it's you up. as a child. Yeah, <laughs> you can see it on the screen. Yeah, it's real fucked up. Uh, that sucked. Uh, yeah, that was that was an uncomfortable. Yeah, so imagine that kid. Of course, he, he, that's of course a real glow up. I mean, as the kids are saying these days, like, dude, I told you, I'm I'm like entirely fueled by like proving like my eighth grade girlfriend wrong. Yeah, like that's well, it's it's all driven by that. It seems to be working out well so far. 
we got to go back to the tweets here. Success is dreaming of becoming a certain type of person and then becoming it. Nothing to do with money. So I'm curious about what's the type of person you're, well, you're trying to become. Now? What I mean by that, it does have something to do with money if your goal is to make money. But I mean is like I – people – were giving me a hard time. They're like, oh, your podcast is called My First Million. The hustle was about business. You talk about money all the time. I'm like, yeah, but like, I don't care about the money. I care about people who achieve cool shit. Mm. And it just so happens that capitalism is a very practical way to achieve goals. Mm. Like it could be like, if you're just an artist or like the guy who like that Jiro Sushi guy, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, he doesn't give a fuck about money and that's cool that he doesn't. But like, I respect him just like I respect a billionaire because it's just like an interesting person who said, my goal is to become a person who makes the best sushi and I'm going to spend as much time as it takes to do it. And so, or it could be like a really cool artist, like Keith Haring. Like he's like, I'm going to create this like interesting art that makes people feel like this. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you did it. That's awesome. I respect that. Or like, um, uh, someone saying I'm going to be the best mom there is, or I'm going to like, I'm, my goal is to raise emotionally healthy children. And you like put time and energy into it and you read books and you actually do it. I respect that person as much as someone building a business. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So people who just call their shot and they say, I'm going to do this and you do it. And so it just so happens that getting rich or creating a business is one of the many ways to do it. It's a very common one. Mm -hmm. And I like that, but it's not the only way uh, and the only type of person I respect, you know, like, um, we, uh, with Hassan, when we were out to dinner, he was telling me, I mean, he is very financially successful, but he was telling me about like his, how he thinks about like comedy. And like, he's like, this is my craft and I, and I want this lighting to be perfect. And I want this, this, like, this is exactly how I want it to be. And I want someone to come with their whole family and feel this particular way. And when I say this joke and I turn and look back, I want you to feel this. And I did it. You know what I mean? And like, that's how people feel. He goes, I sold out Radio City Music Hall five nights in a row and it makes, and I hear people telling me this, this, and this, and I did it. I, I did exactly what I wanted. And I'm like, that's that's success. Even if you lost money, that's success. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of why you're so starstruck by Ariel Hawani because he treats his job as a craft and he devotes everything to it. It doesn't matter if he makes $100,000 a year or a million or whatever, you're still looking at it. Like, or that's why I liked Lance Armstrong. He's like my hero, even though he did a lot of bad shit and he maybe lie or he did lie and he hurt a lot of people. Fuck, I mean, he is a Texan, let alone an American, he's a Texan, a guy from the South who went to Europe and was the best cyclist and like rubbed it in their face. Yeah. Like, and he said he was gonna do that when he, there's this amazing video of him when he was 16, when he first became a pro triathlete, 16 pro triathlete. Yeah. And he, he goes, someone and interviewed him. They go, hey, you're the youngest guy here. How's it feel? Like, isn't this cool that you're like able to compete with the big guys? He goes, yeah, but I'm not here to compete. I'm gonna win. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm here to beat these guys. I'm not here to like just do good for a 16 year old. Seven. And I was like, oh my God, I love you. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's why I like, even though like, let's say a Conor McGregor, who's kind of an asshole and I don't respect him very much, but I respect that like, he said he was gonna do this and he fucking did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I love those types of people. Laird Hamilton too. Laird Hamilton, I like him a lot. He's like, I'm obsessed with this wave. I'm gonna sacrifice everything in order to get this thing right. And that meant like his, I think he said that like he somehow, didn't treat his family like he wanted to for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, but like, that's that's what you do when you want to be the best. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, even though I don't like that he did that and neither does his family, like there's something to say about like people who have these types of wills that just, they make things into existence. Yeah, it's fascinating because there's, uh, there's a tension between people who are emotionally healthy and just 
good people in the sense of emotional. Dude, most successful people I know are not emotionally Exactly, healthy. exactly. So how does it feel that we, it's basically we kind just, of put on a pedestal the people who are the most fucked up? Yeah, and I don't know if they're the most fucked up, but everyone I know who's successful, and maybe including myself, it's just this ball of anxiety that just so happens to be channeled into business. Yeah. Like, I think I also could have been a criminal and I would have been a really good one. Mm-hmm. Like, it could have gone either way. Uh, so, like, most people, it, you know, like, extreme personalities have extreme um, outcomes. What do you think made you not a criminal? It's just more practical to, like, I remember, like, I used to do illegal stuff. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get caught. Like, I don't want to go to jail for you, five years. You spent time in jail. Yeah, I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Like, it's just simply impractical. Like, you always get caught. You know what I mean? I was joking with my wife the other day because uh, we were talking about cheating and relationships. And I was like, I don't even know how you would get away with it now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we were talking about, we, uh, we were just joking. We were like, how would I go cheat? I don't even know if like you have the password to my phone. People know who I am. Like they just Google me and then see you. And just like, de- like, I don't even know how like logistically you could pull off cheating. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really hard. I would have to like go to a different city with a different name, have a second cell phone probably. Otherwise like this person wouldn't be able to contact me because you have my passwords. But then she has like access to like my Apple ID thing. I'm like, you log it. Cause I'll be like, hey, my mom texted me. Can you reply to her for me? You know what I mean? Like you can't like, I don't it's not know. practical. Right. And the same thing with like crime. I'm like, dude, it's fucking hard to get away with shit for a long time. Yeah. I me- and I remember doing like bad stuff. I remember I would do like shady, not shady, but like get rich quickie. Everyone on, who's made money on the internet probably started doing a little bit of it. Mm. And I'm like, remember getting into this and I'm like, dude, this is just like, impractical. Mm-hmm. Like it's better just to do things the straight and narrow and not worry about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you try to take shortcuts and realize that you're going a lot longer route when you're trying to take the shortcut. Right. Like I remember I used to try not to pay my car insurance or like I would try to like, I remember like cutting the sticker on my license plate a little bit. I was like, oh fuck, I'm going to get, I'm going to make it so I don't need to register it for like another year. Cause I'm going to like change this one to a two and a little, and I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck am I doing? It's just way easier to do things the right way. Yeah. Uh, that's that's an interesting insight. Um, okay, last tweet here. The most important financial decision you'll make, picking the right spouse. For sure, without a doubt. How do you go about picking the right spouse? Well, a lot of luck. So like luck plays a factor in everything. Um, I think that like the, I think resentment is probably the worst uh, trait in a relationship. Hmm. And I think a lot of relationships, they resent people. I think typically... It happens where a man goes after like a woman who is like really good looking and maybe doesn't meet his level of ambition or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like he ends up treating her like almost like a kid or like something. It's like, you know, you're just like, you're, you're tagging along. Mm-hmm. I find that to be exhausting and not cool or not fun. Mm-hmm. And so I think like having someone who you um, are inspired by is the way to go. Um, who, it, you know, you could have different interests, but you're like, I almost, maybe the right word is formidable. So someone you're afraid of a little bit. So like with my wife, I'm like, um, she went to like an Ivy League school and grew up around all these fancy people. And like, there's something that involves around like high IQ, like, or direction following or some other shit. And I'm like, I can't figure this out. Can you figure this out? Like if I had to like go against her in like certain competitions, like I would be afraid that she's just going to crush me. Which ones? Well, just like, uh, just things involving just like the ability to focus in a chaotic environment, like, how to like, um, just like it's, it's as simple as like reading directions on like a recipe. You know, like when we're sitting there, I'm like, hey, I can't figure out. Or like when we're like cooking Thanksgiving dinner or something, I'm like, I don't know how to like time this. Like I can't, 
Like I need to go get a spreadsheet to like line up when you have to like cook this thing to be ready to get this thing. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like this thing's this, this, this. I'm like, oh my God, I can't. Like I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand you. Like this doesn't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a trivial example, but there's like loads of other examples. Like she handles a lot of our taxes. I'm like, I just don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't compute. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I just can't, I can't, I don't know what, um, like, I, like people are like, do you have a 1039 form or a W-2? I'm like, I don't know what those mean. You know what I mean? And she's like, yeah, I know what they mean. He's going to do this. We're going to deduct this. We're going to do this. You know what I'm saying? And so that's like good to have, a, I think, a person who you're like, who's formidable. Um, and you're like, you're a little bit fearful of in the sense of like, you respect them. You're like, I do not want to, like us together is better than us separate. Mm. What else is a good thing for, for uh, like, we don't lie to each other. So that's pretty good. We're like brutally transparent. She's incredibly emotionally stable mm. and I'm m- m- stable-ish. Mm. <laughs> I'm up and down. So like, it's really good that she's like stable. I'm pretty crazy and I like to like break the rules and do all the stuff. She loves following the rules. And like, and so that creates a really cool dynamic. And we both basically sat down six months in and we said, financially, here's where I, I go, when I'm 30 and when I'm 40, when I'm 50, here's the life I want to live. Mm. I want to send my kids to this type of school. I want to have this many homes. I want to spend this much money on them. I want to make this much money. I want to, I want to, in this case, this conversation was finances, but I want to raise my kids. Let's say Catholic, this was the, like, I want I want them to be baptized Catholics because that's how I was raised. And I like that. I wanted them to go to single sex schools. I want them to, uh, and she would say, I want them to live in within one hour from my mom and dad, I go, okay. And she said, I want them to, she's like, I, if we live in Long Island, I want them to go to this public, these public schools. I was like, all right, fine, we could discuss that. Like we like outlined exactly what we wanted. Yeah. And then we're like, all right, so here's what I want. Here's what you want. Is there like an overlap? Like, do we, and like, yeah, there's mostly an overlap. How about things we disagree? Are we, yeah, I'm okay. Like compromising with this thing and that thing. I'm not okay with compromising on this and I'm not okay. I'm like, all right, that's cool. And we, it was like an agreement early on. Five days in? Like six months in. Wow. Yeah, we're like, I'm like, hey, let's like do some like life planning. Like this is going well. Like where do you want to be? And like, what what do you value? And like, how are you going to get there? Because like people are like, oh, one day I want to live in this like nice house with this. I'm like, well, that house is like $4 million and you're a stay-at-home mom. So I guess I'm going to be the one working, right? And like, that means I need this type of job. And that also means I'm not going to be home 80 hours a week. You know, they don't have those discussions. You know what I mean? And then they get in the relationship and they're like, oh, fuck. This doesn't like, work. Yeah. So we had those discussions early on. And I was like, for the next five years of our relationship, I'm putting work first. And I'm, I, that that comes first. But that means that I'm going to, uh, we'll be able to provide for our family and do this and that. And uh, are you okay with that? She's like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Let's do it. You know what I mean? So like we had these discussions, like even to the point of like, do you want to work and have a nanny? She's like, yeah. And I said, uh, me too. Great. Let's do that. It's like, we like had these like discussions pretty early on about what, what we, what type of life we wanted. Yeah. Well, I'm listening to you. And one of your superpowers, it seems like is asking questions, the ability to look at a situation and be like, how, what can I ask in this situation to get the outcome that I want? You do that on the podcast all yeah, the I'm time. I'm really good at that. Then in your, in your relationship. I read like how to win friends and influence people. Got you. Just read all those like, Books. what do you think has it? What do you think has made you that way the most? I think I was just born that way, and then I got curious. When I was in sixth grade, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People, because I just was like, I think that like my skill set is manipulating people. That's which sounds negative, but like making them feel good about themselves or uh, convincing them that like joining my company is a good idea. Like I, I think I'm good at this, so I want to lean into that and make that my skill set. You know, like 
I think I can give a talk that like inspires people to be better or whatever. I'm like, I think I could do that. So I just like studied it. You knew at a young age, your strengths, like you were very confident. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not. When I wasn't confident about what I'm not good at, but I was confident that I'm good at that particular thing. Mm. Yeah. I got really confident in the last year and a half about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And that's from having the results to back it up or something else? Results and mistakes. Like I, we, my thing was a success and my business was a success. I know it could have been a lot more successful had I recognized early on that I was bad at this thing and this thing and this thing. You know what I'm saying? So now I know what I'm bad at. And so for my new business, I have people doing the shit that I'm bad at and I'm focusing on what I'm good at. And I know like what I stand for. I know what values to hire for, mm. things like that. It's I mean, when you're 23, you're still figuring it out. I started my thing when I was 24. Like, I, I was like, I thought I wanted to hire 10,000 people. I thought, I, the, it's like, oh no, I fucking hate being around these people. I don't want to hire 10,000 people. I want, I'd rather have like 10 people that are amazing. You know what I mean? So you just, your shit's evolving early on. Now it's less, will likely evolve less, but a little. When you said in your mind, I want to have $20 million by 30, how different is the reality of that than what you expected when you were writing that goal? The difference is, is that it does make me happier. The other difference is, is that I don't buy a lot of nice shit. Mm. Uh, I have a, I, the only nice thing I've ever bought, I bought real estate, but that's almost always, it makes money for me. Mm. I hate cash flows. And then the other thing that I bought that was fancy was I bought a $120,000 car. So that $120,000 car, that's the only nice thing I've ever bought. I don't think I've ever made a purchase more than $2,000. Like I bought a laptop, but besides that, I'm, I don't think I've ever bought anything, over, uh, furniture, but that was part of the- Trip. Yeah. Uh, to uh, France. I, I took my family, but I took my family to France, but me and Sarah's tickets were paid for by the conference that I was speaking of and I paid for my mom and dad. So yeah, that cost, but, but they paid for our hotel. So that was like a 16,000 or $12,000 set of flights. So that was expensive, but I don't think I've ever bought like an item for more than like two or three grand. Were you expecting to spend a lot more? Yeah, I was like, I want this car, I want this car. And then I started like, I got one nice car and I was like, damn dude, this is stressful. <laughs> so now uh, what me and my wife are gonna do for our next place is we're just gonna rent for a really long time and I'm gonna rent all my furniture. I don't wanna own anything. Mm. I only wanna own clothes. Why does it seem like when people upscale in the wealth department, they find that they have less? Alex Ramosi talks about this too, where he's like sitting in a- Yeah, I've talked to him about it. It's like, it's interesting, right? Yeah, because- what What is that about? Well, it's one of those bullshit things where you have to experience it to like uh, know that you don't want it. Mm. So like, it's good to be able to do it. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Like it feels good knowing I could do this, this, and this. So like that, like it, but that satisfies my ego. But then like in terms of practicality, I'm like, oh my God, if I get that car, my insurance is gonna cost this much. I have to like park it in this garage all the time and I don't want to park a car in the garage because I want to work out in there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just impractical and like it just causes so many headaches. And oftentimes when you buy shit, it ends up buying you and owning you. And I'm like, I don't want that. It's exhausting. So right now I just li I have two suitcases of bags and like I, I prefer that. It's just a much better lifestyle. Um, it just feels like way lighter and way easier and way mobile. And people are like, oh, you're throwing money away at rent. And I'm like, no, I'm buying freedom. Mm -hmm. I'm paying for a service. The service is, is that I have a place to live and I and I and something breaks and they fix it. Yeah. That's I'm not throwing money away. I'm paying for a service. You're paying and you have like a prison because a lot of people buy a home and they're like, 
I can't leave. I'm like, yeah, fucking sucks for you. Like you, you shouldn't have bought this house. Uh, but you're tricked. It's like, a, a, I think it's a trick uh, that most, I think you should only buy it if you really want to, if you really, you think it'll make you happy. But like, I don't want to take care of this stuff. I have a property manager for all my properties. I don't want to like take care of stuff and like be stressed out about the water heater breaking. So we discussed things that you disagree with your friends about, your rich friends, let's say, is this is loosely speaking, but crypto, Web3 stuff, psychedelics, kind of renting versus owning. Are there any other different? Yeah, I think that's a, a fairly controversial one. I think buying a home in most, so there's this myth that buying a home is a good investment. Mm. If you look at the data for the trailing 50 years, if you have $100,000, let's say, and you say, I can either put this $100,000 as a down payment for a home, or I can rent a place of equal value, like of similar quality and market rate, and then put the remaining in the S&P 500 mm. and just keep renting. The second option, you will have more money in the end if you put down like 15 or 20%, even if you put down sometimes like 10%. And if the S&P 500 stays at the current rates? No, well, correct. What I'm talking about is the trailing 50 years. So if you just run that analysis and then you also make the assumption that the trailing 50 or trailing 100 years will repeat itself. And the trailing 15 years has actually been double. So it, ha it hasn't been 7.5, it's been like 15%. Wow. So you would have really crushed it. Mm. But yes, so the assumption is, is that the world, that America will continue doing what it's doing for another 100 years that it does for the trailing 100 years. So that's an assumption. So I think when they say it's a good investment, I'm like, no, it's not. In most cases, yes. If you bought a place in Brooklyn and in in nineteen, uh, you know, eighty nine, it's worth way more now, and you are the outlier. I'm just talking about the average. Mm. Um, but they do this thinking it's a good financial investment. I'm like, no, you should only do this if it's a good emotional investment. Yeah. If it makes you happier, then yeah, do it. Yeah. Because not everything needs an ROI. The steak I had last night, there's no ROI on it. Like, it just made me happy, and I work hard, and I'm gonna eat this fucking steak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your home, in a way, should be like that. It's a little bit better because it's a store of value. So the trailing 50 years, I bet home prices have risen like 3%. Inflation's like 2.5%. So it's like a pretty good store of value. But I don't think it's a, it'll keep up with inflation. It's a good place to keep money. But if you have other options, what you do, it's like, eh, you know, it's not that good. So that's a something, and people say, "Oh, you're throwing money away." I'm like, "No, you're not throwing money away. You're you're paying for a service. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're uh, you don't have to worry about this stuff." So that is controversial, but uh, not to you, not to me. No. Yeah. Uh, what's another one? Was your question? Yeah. I don't know. Um, well, are, let me ask you. I believe in luck. So like for the longest, it wasn't until I sold my business where I'm like, I thought like, oh, I'm going to make my own destiny. I'm doing it all on my own. And now looking back, I'm like, dude, there's so many lucky things that just worked out. Like for example, the CEO of HubSpot got into a horrible accident two weeks after our deal closed and he almost died and he resigned. He's fine now. But wow. like had that happened like two weeks before the deal closed, it could have ruined it. Wow. So that's luck. You know, like there's just some lucky things that happened. Like COVID happened, it accelerated digital media growth. People came to me and wanted to buy me because of that luck. I had nothing, to, there, my skill didn't matter there. It was luck. So I believe luck is real. Uh, that definitely helps. Uh, what else is somewhat controversial? Are you bullish on America? Fuck yeah. That, yeah. I think that's a controversial take to some Dude, people. that is crazy. I know. I'm I mean, with you. This is I all of my friends talk that America shit, yeah, Sam. And I'm not like some hardcore conservative. I'm pr pretty moderate. And 
all of my friends, my family, my wife's family, immigrants. If you ask an, your average immigrant how they feel about America, they fucking love it. Yeah. And it's not to say that the other places are necessarily shitholes or anything like that. Isn't that what Trump said? He's like, is it he's called shitholes or I forget the word he described. Some maybe are, but like whatever, it, it's just different. But like in terms of having a large group of people, it is the best place that has a large group of people that, that is mostly pretty good at everything. Mm. There are bad things, but it's mostly top quartile in, it's in most things. Interesting. And people say like, oh, there's no upward mobility. I'm like, I don't know, man, go to Kuwait and try to start a company. Like the government owns 50% of it. Mm. You know, go try to start a company in India. You got to jump through all these hoops. It's a huge pain. I don't even think you can start a company in India if you're a foreigner. Mm. Uh, there's all these like crazy rules. Like, um, like it, I think the American dream is totally alive and is 100% real. It, I've got so many immigrant friends who I could point to uh, who have done it. I mean. Uh, look at the richest guy in the world right now, mm. Elon Musk. Yeah. African immigrant came here and like created cool shit. Mm. There's, it's just like so many like interesting ways to make it work here. And like Americans also default to optimism more than many other cultures. So like if my friends and even just in England, when they tell their parents that they're going to quit to do X, Y, and Z, they typically are negative. Like have you ever seen the British office? No, I've never seen that version. Okay, the difference between the two is in the American office, the comedy is like the good guy gets the girl and it ends well. And like they're being mean to each other, but they actually love one another. And like, they're always going to help each other in the end. The British office isn't like that. They're like, they're like assholes to one another. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's like, they're making fun of people. They're not like, and that's like a good representation of the difference between the two types of cultures. Hmm. You'll, you'll have to pay attention to when you watch it. Like they're like mean to each other there. This one, they're not like mean. It's like, it's loving thing. So anyway, I'm very bullish on America. And I, I, unfortunately, I think that is controversial. Yeah. Why do you think that Americans are optimistic? Like what has made us that way? I just think it's rooted and, you know, the, you know, people came here to, uh, not everyone, but a lot of, some people came here to like escape and like create a thing. And I, and I think that like, it does feel like an experiment mm. and we are mostly open-minded to interesting new ideas. We mostly always default to optimism. That's, and I think that's a very American trait. Mm. Some other places have it, but it's a very American trait that we default to optimism. Mm. Uh, and I do think it is like an experiment that like, and we still kind of treat it a little bit like an experiment. Mm. That's why COVID was in a way kind of cool because all these new things happened. Like they closed down the streets and they like adapted. And like in a way, I think America does that pretty good with a lot of like we adapt pretty quickly. And I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah, if you look at World War II too, as well, it was like America's adaption to different scenarios gave us an advantage. Yeah, because we do a pretty good job of saying like, all right, we can do this. Yeah. Like you remember like there's that picture of Rosie the Riveter, you yes. know, that woman and yes. she's like, we can do it. Yeah. Like that's a pretty good embodiment. And I think it's more mostly that way. And like I said, there's always, there's bullshit happening. There's always bad stuff. There's always room to improve and just a little bit of injustice is wrong. But in general, I'm incredibly bullish and yeah. I, I'm very, very pro-America. <laughs> yeah, me too. So let's take this baby home, Sam. And final, final question or, or one of the final jumping off points is what advice would 80-year-old Sam give present-day Sam for his life in this moment? 80-year-old me. Dude, I think take care of your body and like put the work in early on because when you're 
like the worst thing on earth would probably be like to be in your 70s and 80s and be in pain. Hmm. So like uh, like physical pain, it would, I mean, that's like your health is all you have. So like that. Um, and I would probably say be more present with family, maybe. I think that like I'm reading this book about uh, like they interviewed 10,000 people who are in nursing homes and asked them to reflect on their life and they found like a handful of traits. Is this by the Cornell guy? Yeah. What's it called? Uh, I always forget the name. It has a really bad name that's like not catchy. It's escaping me at this moment. Living, uh, I forget what it's called. We'll and, put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's good. And he was one of the commonalities is that uh, people were like, I wish I would have spent more. Like no one says I spent too much time with my, they always say, I wish I would have like appreciated when she was younger. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I, I wish I would have like uh, uh, focused on that more. So probably that. How do you go about doing that? The health piece is pretty easy, but the present. Uh, we, well, I don't have kids now. So, but uh, I set my life up in such a way where like I can afford to spend time with them. So that was really important to me. So I did, I, per, I proactively did that. Mm. Um, and I'm moving to a place where there's family. I'm picking my city on where there's family and where there's community. I actually buy my home in Austin. I bought it because me and my best friend bought neighboring homes. Shout out Neville Medora. Yeah, Neville. We bought neighboring homes. We did that on purpose and it's very, it makes us very happy. And then here I lived, I moved to a building because my friend Jason Janowitz lives on the ninth floor and I live on the third floor and we live down the street from Dave Nemitz, my other good buddy. So like I purposely move in close vicinities to, to vicinity to friends and family and that definitely helps. Yeah, that, that's a good hack I think for people in there. Well, everyone says they want to do it, but, but like, no one actually does. Yeah, and me and Neville are actually three doors apart, which is actually perfect because we could still walk and just walk into each other's home, but we're not close enough. Like we can still have space. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. So like that's that's like the coolest thing I've done in a long time. That's that is cool. Sam, I'm just Have you had Neville on? You've had a bunch of my friends though. You've yeah, had Sean. Neville, Noah, Dave, Jason. Which Dave? Dave Nemitz. Oh, you've had Dave Nemitz? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And Jason? Yeah. Fuck. I know, dude. You're the last one. I was trying that's to so check funny. you guys off one by uh, who else? I mean, you look at is Gary Vaynerchuk your friend? Friendly. We've we've hung out four times. Yeah. You had Gary on. Yeah. Uh, Ariel. Yeah. You'll, Ariel. You'll go through the list. You'll appreciate many, all the people. How many views an episode? Dude, it's like, it's hard out here. Probably like a thousand views an episode. On uh, YouTube. On YouTube plus podcast combined. Well, it seems like some of the videos have gotten tens of thousands. Yeah, some do. But those are the exceptions, not the rules. Well, hopefully this will be an exception. I... I I have no doubt it will be based on your uh, your wisdom, and I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. You're a legend in media, and, I appreciate and someone it. I look up to a lot. So well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time for spreading your truth, being honest, being vulnerable, being you. So thank you so much. And anything you'd like to plug? Can I look at the camera and plug something? No, I don't have anything to plug. My Twitter's the Sam Parr. Instagram. I think it's the same. Just look up Sam Parr. I, do, I, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> we'll put it below. I, uh, I do this thing called Copy That. So try copythat.com so you can like sign up there. No, I don't have anything. To, I don't care if you buy it or not. I don't give a fuck. No, I don't have anything to plug. Yeah. And just that's follow why me people online. like you. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just here for a good time. So thank you so much, man. All right. Thank you.